Well, today we are continuing our series, American Idols. And you might, when you walked in, you might have noticed some of our greeters. They were wearing contestant badges. And so, they're, fortunately, they will not be trying out for anything and not singing. So it's just merely a prop. And so we are, we are continuing our series. And one of the things that we are doing over the next several weeks is we are, we are looking at, at idols that we tend to worship even today. Now, I know that typically whenever we think of idol worship, and we mentioned this last week as we think of somebody who is bowing down in some, some country way off in the distance, they're bowing down some, to some little wooden or statue idol. And so we, we look at that and we say, well, we don't, we don't do that here in the United States. Uh, but what I want us to see is while we might not have little statues that we bow down to, the fact of the matter is that there are idols that we still worship today. And basically, an idol is anything that we are putting before God, anything that we serve more than we do God. Uh, there was a little girl that was with her grandmother, and so she walked into her grandmother's room and she asked her question. She said, Grandma, how old are you? And I said, well, honey, you don't ask that kind of question to ladies. She said, that's just not a nice thing to ask. And so the, the little girl said, well, well, how much do you weigh? And she said, well, you know, you, th that is not a very nice question. I'm not going to tell you that. And so the granddaughter didn't say anything about it. Then the next day, she walked into her grandmother's room. She said, I know how old you are. She said, you're 62 years old and you weigh 145 pounds. And the grandmother looked at her and said, how in the world did you find that out? She said, well, I went and I dug around in your purse and I found your license and I looked on there and it just said, gave your, gave your weight and it, it gave your birth date and it also said you made an F in sex. Now, uh, now folks, whenever we talk about idols, uh, one of the idols that we're going to be talking about is sex. And so if you looked in your bulletin, you'll see it says American Idols and it says sex. Now, some of you might be a little bit nervous about it. Believe me, I'm more nervous than you are because I'm the guy that's standing up here. And so, so what is this all about? Well, the fact of the matter is one of the idols that we definitely bow down to and worship is at the altar of sex. And, and the, whenever you look at statistics, it is absolutely mind-blowing. There was a guy named uh, Larry Fishbein who said that whenever you look at pornography, there's no demographic for it in America. said it crosses every demographic that there is. It is a $13 billion industry in the United States alone. Now you might be saying, why in the world are we talking about this in church? Well, here's the reason why. It's because it affects the church as well. 64% of Christian men, 15% of Christian women say that in the past month they have viewed pornography. And so simply put, we have an idol problem. We have an idol problem in this country. We have an idol problem in the church in general. And that is putting anything before God. And the idol that we're looking at today is the idol of sex. And so today in our passage of scripture, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of the idols that we have, uh, that we bow down to and worship, but then look to see how can we rectify that? How can, how can we change that to where we are putting God first instead of any idol in our life? And so that's why we're going to be looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today in verse number 1. And if you want to, you can turn there. Uh, if you're interested, if you have your Bible, you can go to all the far right of your Bible and have a, turn a little left. 
and you're going to run into 1 Thessalonians. Now, the city of Thessalonica is still a city today in Greece. It's in northern Greece. It's called Thessaloniki today. But in Scripture, it was a, it was a thriving town. It was a town of about 300,000 people. It was a very prosperous town, metropolitan area. People from all over the world would go through Thessaloniki or Thessalonica. But it was a very pagan town. It was a, it was a town that was known for its immorality. And so that's why Paul is writing to the church there. He knew that they were bowing down to the God of immorality there. And so he wanted the people, the believers that were in the church, to be careful of this idol. Uh, Demosthenes, who was a famous Greek orator, had this to say. He, he, he pointed out the moral climate of the day when he said, we keep prostitutes for ourselves, we keep mistresses, uh, we keep wives for the begetting of children and for the faithful guarding of the home. And it's just Immorality was just blatant. It was something that was accepted. And so Paul wrote this letter to believers to let them know, you have been called to follow Jesus above all things. He previously written in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, there is only one thing in life that we are to bow down to. And it's not the God of, of pleasure. It is not the God of sex. It is the God of Scripture who we are to bow to. And the only time that we are to practice or be involved in a physical relationship, according to Scripture, is within the confines of marriage. And that's it. That's it. You, you might have heard the, the old saying before, fences make good neighbors. Have you ever heard that before? Well, that, that's what God has done for us. God has set up fences for us to make sure that we don't stray into an area where we are trespassing so that we don't do damage to our lives and the lives of other people. And so very simply today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a few reasons why we are not to trespass into areas where we don't belong. Okay, so, so why should we not trespass? What's the reason? Well, the first reason we're not to trespass is this, so that you'll please God. We're, we're not to wander across fences God has set up so that we will please God. Now, if you look in verse number 1 of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says this. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God as you are doing, he says, do so even more. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not the best giver of gifts. Uh, typically, whenever I give a gift, I like to give a gift to somebody that I like. And I think, well, if I like it, they're going to like it. I still remember one of the first gifts I bought Emily was uh, I bought her a golf bag. I thought that, minch, I thought that, would be, I thought that would be a great gift. Emily doesn't even like golf. And so I bought her the bag. It went over like a lead balloon. Now, as we've been married longer, every once in a while, I, I will give a gift that she likes. Um, Emily, Emily is on the very back row, so Emily, I'm going to ask, what is the best gift I've ever given you? She's shaking her head. No, you are such a talker whenever, whenever we're all alone. Now, the best gift I've ever given her is I bought her grass. Not, not the kind you smoke, the kind that you mow. And that was the greatest gift I've ever given Emily. She loved it. 
And so it was fun when I gave her a gift that brought her joy. Okay, now with God, what is a gift that we can give to God that will bring pleasure to God? What is a gift that we can give to God that will please God and not simply please ourselves? You know what that gift is? It is a gift of walking like Jesus. It is a gift of living according to what he says. That's why Paul said this. He said, walk in a way that pleases God. Uh, the word walk is in reference to behavior. It's, into the referen it's in reference to the way that you conduct your life. Now, if you want to know what is important in your life, if you want to know what it is in your life that you bow down to, the only thing that you and I have to do is look and see how we live. Your actions, my actions, speak a whole lot louder than words. The Bible says this, James 1.22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. Now, now Christians, the Christians in Thessalonica, they knew what God wanted from them. And I dare say that, that we know, in general, how God desires for us to live. Uh, in verse number 2, this is what Paul told the people. He said, For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. These people knew what Scripture said. These people knew the fences that God had set up for their lives. They knew the do's and don'ts. But the question is, did they live it? Did they, you know, if you want to know if somebody values what you say, the way you know that is if they do what you say. Now, now God knows in our lives if we value what He says by whether or not we put it into practice. Now, are we putting into, into practice? Well, when it comes to the God of sex, I would, I would have to say, nope. When it comes to valuing what God says about morality and immorality, we know what God says. And yet I'd say that most of us, or most people, not y'all, but most people don't really value what God has to say about it. We know what he says, but we live like we want to. I, I, I'm amazed that just in the, you can look in the life past 10, 20, 30 years to see how different everything is today and how our values have changed. And things that used to offend us now, they're just a part of everyday life. Now, a large group of us know what God desires. The question is, though, will I live to please God or will I live in order to please myself? If we're living to please God, then we are going to live according to what God says. They might say, well, so then what is the motivation for me to live in such a way that I will please God? Why would I want to do that? Because of what Jesus has done for you. And at the end of the service, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and be reminded that one of the things that Jesus has done for us is Jesus went to the cross. And he willingly gave up his life for us that we might have life. That we might experience forgiveness. That we might know meaning and purpose. That we might have eternal life. So the very first reason not to trespass is so you'll please God. But here's another reason not to trespass. It's because you've been sanctified by God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been sanctified by God. In verse number 2, 
It says, For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, so that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I have a responsibility to be obedient to what God teaches us. And in verse number 2, Paul told the Christians, he said, listen, you guys already know what God commands. That the word commands, it is a military term. It is speaking of a superior officer giving orders to one of his soldiers. When God commands, he is the commanding officer giving an order to one of his soldiers. Now, in the military, whenever an officer gives an order, do the soldiers sit around and say, Gosh, do you think we ought to do that, guys? I mean, what do, what do you all think? You think, I mean, should we listen to him or should we do something different? Do you think that happens? Yeah, that doesn't happen. Now, if, if you're a soldier and you've been given an order, what do you do? Well, you do what he says. Why? Because he's the commanding officer. Now, you might say, well, what order, what command has God given his soldiers, his people? Verse number three. Paul says, here's the order. You are to abstain from sexual immorality. What do you all think that means? You don't have to answer out loud. I mean, but do you get the gist of what that means? You, to, you, to, you are to abstain from sexual immorality. I mean, I know when my, when my parents told me not to do something, I always knew what they meant. I didn't always do what they said. I always knew what they meant, though. Don't do that. What does that mean? Hmm. The Bible says abstain from sexual immorality. What does that mean? It's exactly what it means. Now, when it comes to this subject, though, now, we like to say we're obedient to God, but when it comes to the subject of immorality, man, it's amazing how we start trying to find wiggle room there. Well, what exactly is immorality? When do I cross the line? How far up against the fence can I go before I find myself in trouble? Let me just share with you something. The word immorality is the Greek word pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. It means flesh. It's speaking of anything, any kind of fleshly desire that goes outside of God's will. So what does that mean? It means there's no such thing as moderate immorality. You know, like, he's really bad. I'm just a little bit bad, but he's really bad. There's no such thing as that. Scripture says you don't cross the fence at all. That's what the word abstain means. Now, why are we to abstain from it? Well, verse number 3 says this. For those of you who are believers, it says, Because you have been sanctified. You heard that word before? Sanctified? It's a kind of a fancy word. It's a simple meaning. Sanctified means to be set apart. Sanctified says you have been set apart. You have been called to live not a common life, not like everybody else, but you've been called, been called to live differently. You are set apart. And when it comes to the area of, sexu- of our sexual nature, we are to be obedient to God and only practice it within the confines of marriage. Why? Because God said. And He is our commanding officer. And when He gives an order, we are called to follow it. There's a, a story of a man that went to Israel, an American man, and he was able to stay with a Bedouin family. Now, when we were in Israel, we were driving down the road, and Bedouins are their nomadic people, and they, they live very much like they lived almost 2,000 years ago. 
They live in tents. Now, it's different today. I've, I've told you all before that we have seen some, uh, some bad ones. You know, they'll, they'll, they live out in the, in the desert, ride camels. One time we saw a guy riding a camel, talking on a cell phone. It was bizarre. But the bad ones very much, and, and very, other than a few little things like that, they live very much like they did 2,000 years ago. And they're shepherds. And when the American was with his family, and the man went out to the field, and he noticed that some of his sheep were missing, he said, somebody's stolen my sheep, let's go look for them. So the American went with him, and he said, it was strange, we didn't go out into the pastures looking for the sheep. He said, we went to the marketplace. He said, there's shepherds everywhere, everywhere, they had sheep with them. And he said, the shepherd walked out into the middle of the marketplace, and he began to call the names of his sheep. And he said, from different flocks, sheep began to walk towards him. The guy just sat there, the American sat there, and he said, how, how do you know they're your sheep? He said, it's simple. He said, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And they always respond to his voice. Okay, when I heard that story, I immediately thought of what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 10, 27, he said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, when you hear the voice of Jesus, you'll respond to it. And that, that is one of the ways that you know that you are one of God's sheep, that you're one of his children. When he speaks, you will respond to him. Okay, so, so, so why should I not trespass? Well, so that you'll please God. Because you've been sanctified by God. And then here's the last reason. The final reason not to trespass is a pretty good one. It's so you won't be punished by God. So you won't be punished by him. Uh, verse number, let's see, verse 6. Paul says, this means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter. Speaking of immorality. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. I read a story about, uh, uh, in Japan about a Japanese man who was living with a woman. Now that is not that strange except for the fact that the man did not know he was living with a woman. Uh, what happened is every morning he would get up and he would go eat breakfast. And every time he looked in his pantry he's like, I thought I had more food than this. And he thought that he, had bought, he would buy food and he'd come in and there would always be just a little bit less than what he bought. And so it was, it was driving him crazy. And so what he did is he set up cameras in his kitchen that would feed to his computer at work. He's like, well, what is going on? And so he was sitting there in his office one day and he looked at his computer and a woman walked into his kitchen, sits down, opens up the, pan opens up the pantry, sits down and starts eating his food. This guy's like, who is this woman? And so he calls the police and the police go to his house. They search the house, they can't find the lady. And so the guy's like, I, I have her on camera. I know she's here. And so they began to search his house, and there was one closet in his house that he never used. They opened it up, and when they opened it up, they saw the lady. She was huddled in a corner of that closet. There was a mattress in that closet with empty water bottles all over the place. She had been squatting in his house for months. Is that a weird story? I mean, I, I read that story, and I thought, that ain't right. I mean, automatically, that woman should not have been in that guy's house. And that's how it is with all of us. When somebody trespasses, we automatically know they should not be there. I mean, do you like it when anybody looks through your stuff without your permission? 
Guys, I especially know this is true for us. Don't look at my wallet. Okay, right? We don't like it. Whenever somebody is trespassing, we automatically know that is something that is not right. Okay, now here's the deal. Same thing is true when it comes to immorality. When we go outside of God's fences, guys, we are trespassing. We are getting into areas that we don't belong. And if you trespass, there's always a price to pay, right? If somebody gets caught, they should have, but there should be a price for them to pay. Same thing's true when it comes to immorality. So what verse number six tells us. It says, the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. That word avenger, that kind of scares me. What does that mean? Well, an avenger, it means one who will enact a penalty. One who punishes. Now, just because we're followers of God does not give us a free pass to do whatever it is that we want. Now, you can say, well, I'm a follower of God, and so God, I will always be his child. Therefore, I've got a free pass. Now, it's true you will always belong to God. Let me tell you something. Whenever you step across the line, there is punishment that comes there's there are consequences for our sin galatians 6 7 and 8 says do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever a man sows he will reap because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit now now think about it like this for those of you who are parents you have children they will always be your children no matter how old they get, they're always your kids, right? doesn't matter what they do. They might disappoint you. They might hurt your feelings. They will always be your children. Now, whenever they step outside of the rules and regulations that you've set for them, what do you do as a parent? What should you do? You should discipline them, I mean, right? Now, is it fun to discipline your children? I mean, sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. Is it fun to discipline your children? No, it's not fun to discipline your children. But if you are a good parent, you will do it because you have set up fences and you want them to know, listen, if you cross that fence, it is dangerous on the other side. And I'm trying to protect you. God is doing the same thing with us. He knows that immorality destroys. Some of us know that on our, in, our, in our own personal testimonies. Destroys relationships. It leaves emotional scars. It busts up families. It messes up our relationship with God. I say, well, how, how can God protect me from impurity? As you follow Jesus, he gives you a desire to be obedient to his word. As you follow Jesus, he gives you power to overcome temptation in life. And as we yield to his spirit, he will provide holiness in our lives so that we don't desire as strongly the things of the flesh. Now, Paul spends a great deal of his time in immorality as he writes. And he does it because it's, it was such a problem in the church during that day. Guys, it's still a problem in the church today. For many people, marriage vows no longer mean as much anymore. We don't consult God's word. We consult how we feel. We see that there are many, many people who claim to be followers of Jesus. We see churches that, that no longer speak of morality, but instead we basically see churches now that are saying that it doesn't matter what Scripture says. It all comes down to how you feel. And if you feel good, then it's got to be right. And then I look at Scripture. You know what Scripture says? Scripture says that we are to walk in holiness. 
We are to be set apart. Now, is it because God wants us to be miserable? No. It's because God set up fences for us because He loves us. And He wants to protect us. Now, idol worship, it is alive and well today. And one of the biggest gods that our culture bows down to and worships today is sex. But Paul shares with us some reasons that we are not to trespass into this area. Very simple stuff. He says, you want to please God. Another reason is because you're sanctified by God. And finally, you don't want to be punished by God. And I say, well, what happens if I'm already bowed down worshiping this stuff? Here's the great thing. You can bow down to God today and ask for forgiveness. You can bow down before God today and tell God that you're sorry and say, Lord, I pray for you to redeem me. God, I pray that you will move me away from this sin because, Jesus, I want to serve you and you alone. And guys, one of the cool things is what you discover in the Bible. 1 John 1, nine says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? I mean, aren't you grateful? God cleanses people. And I need to be cleansed. And some of you need to ask God to cleanse you. Now, there might be others of you here today, and it's time for you to bow down and to begin to worship the God of Scripture. And say simply, God, I, I am trusting and believing that you were real, and I'll follow you. Thank you.